All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. How are you? I'm broadcasting from the road. I'm broadcasting from six floors up in Nashville, Tennessee. Today on the show, uh, we talked to uh, Clea Duval. Uh, a lot of you know her as an actor from movies like uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, Girl Interrupted, Zodiac, Argo, and on TV, An American Horror Story, Better Call Saul, uh, The Handmaid's Tale. But she's also a writer and director and now a showrunner with uh, the new series High School, based on the memoir of Tegan and Sarah, as well as the animated series she co-created called Housebroken. She is here. I will talk to her. It's very interesting. Uh, she was a little nervous at first, but I think, uh, I think we did it. I think we got through. I think we had a nice conversation. A couple of things I wanted to say. I just wanted to respond to a couple. Of, you know, not much, but I think it's correct. I did a little, uh, I, don't, I don't like to, I did a, a little monologue of sorts, a little uh, uh, stream of consciousness on uh, the sort of current state of uh, mainstreaming anti-Semitism the other day. And I may have said something in reference to uh, particular African-American uh, pundits and uh, pop stars saying anti-Semitic things as the black community. And, you know, that's incorrect. Uh, there's a few black people who are anti-Semites, a few Latin people that are anti-Semites, a few Asian people that are anti-Semites. Anti-Semites of all races are a little problematic to me, a lot problematic to me. And, you know, when I'm thinking about it, I'm sorry, how are you? Is everything all right? What, you know, what, I'm, I'm punchy, man, and I'm, I'm way sleep deprived and I'm beat up. Uh, a bit I did two shows at a rock club last night and it's not so much that that's different but it is it's the space it's the space's expectations it's the orange peel there's a bar in the room they did seat the place but it takes a certain amount of focus and energy so back to anti-semitism and then I'll get back to the orange peel my point is that once you mainstream anti-Semitism, look, anti-Semitism was always there. It was always percolating. Jews always assumed it. People knew what it was to some degree. They didn't really associate themselves with it, nor think about it much. That's the point, is now that it's been culturally mainstreamed by a few events, uh, recent events, that have to do with Kanye, uh, Nick Fuentes, Donald Trump. Not that it hasn't been percolating for a while, the white nationalism in this country and, and neo-Nazis in this country. It's been growing uh, in terms of awareness. I don't know in terms of numbers, but I guess once awareness grows, there are numbers that grow with it. But my basic problem is just the mainstreaming of anti-Semitism because uh, most people you know, don't think about it much, but once it becomes a global phenomenon, when you have a global celebrity talking positively uh, about anti-Semitism and Nazis that puts everyone in the position to listen and at least have it on their radar. Everyone in the world for the past few weeks has had anti-Semitism on their radar. Now, I believe that everyone in the world, I would say that most people, almost everyone in the world has never even met a Jew, does not have a Jew in their life, doesn't even have a real opinion on it. But now that Anti-Semitism is in the cultural landscape every day in clickbait. People pushing back on anti-Semitism. Some people celebrating anti-Semitism. I, I would hope that the pushback is, is more uh, prominent. But just the fact that there's pushing back on something that has become a global cultural meme is, is a problem in a big way because that means everybody and their brother and their mother and their uncle, people who don't know Jews, who don't have opinions, 
about Jews have to go, what is this anti-Semitism? How do I feel about it? You know, I don't even know any Jews. Should I not like the Jews? And then they do their own research, quote unquote. I'm going to do my own research on this. I would say that 90% of the time when you do your own research in a vague, broad way with no specific context, it's not going to lead anywhere good. So isn't it easier just to say, yeah, you know what? I don't I don't think I like them as opposed to really embrace or learn about history and what it really means to be Jewish or what the Jewish people are really about or what they've contributed to your life. Isn't it easier just to kind of poke around and go like this? George Soros guy sounds like a monster. He's running the world. Or you can go the the opposite end of the spectrum and be like, well, I kind of like Adam Sandler. Those, I think, the cultural touch points, I think, for most people uh, in, in terms of Jews that they know from something. George Soros and Adam Sandler. Where do you stand, people? Where do you stand? Are you in the middle of that spectrum? Are you moving more towards Sandler? Do you, uh, are you moving more towards the demonization of the mythic George Soros? Where are you on the Soros-Sandler spectrum in terms of anti-Semitism? Think about it. Am I helping you at all? Am I helping you? How you feeling? How are you feeling? Once you hear this, I will have no more shows left before I tape my special. And I was still going at an hour and a half, but I got it down to an hour and five on both of the Orange Peel shows. But that was picking up the pace, picking up the intensity, pacing the stage like old school Marin, not sitting as much, trying to fucking work all the material in, but also trying to hold the sort of energy of a rock club. It's a little difficult. It's a wide room. There's a bar in the room. They were seated, but it's still a big echoey rock club, but it took a lot of energy. And I did two shows and I was running on very little sleep because the hotel was not comfortable. I had the worst fucking pillows, man. And I know that's, it's not a big problem, but when you spend your life on the fucking road, shitty pillows will fuck you up for a day or two even. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to adapt. And this was a fairly upscale, I don't know if it was upscale, but it was a nice boutique hotel. And you figure if they're going to go the distance and make everything cute, just fucking get good pillows. Am I right? I'm not going to mention names, but get some nice fucking pillows. I mean, it's like, it makes a big difference. I can't move my fucking head right now. But here's the point. I've been to Nashville before. I have a lot of interesting memories in Nashville. I have memories of, of playing Bonnaroo. I have memories of that nightmare. I have memories, well, let's go further back, coming down here and doing zanies. I have memories of interviewing Jack White over at his office uh, and, and you know being a third man for the first time when it was still a big deal. I remember... You know, coming down here and and hanging out with David Berman uh, after a show at Zany's when he was living down here before he uh, killed himself, obviously. And he didn't want to do the podcast, but we sat in a restaurant, the only two patrons at the place. And for two hours, he told me his life story and about his sort of almost weird Oedipal struggle uh, or at least a struggle to the uh, soul death with his father. And it was it was one of the most. uh you know, kind of darkest but exciting conversations I've ever had with David Berman. And we became kind of friends, but not really. I I emailed with him like two weeks before he passed. And we were going to talk about that new record, that Purple Mountains record, but that didn't happen. I remember, you know, being at Bonnaroo. I remember going to uh, uh, Prince's Chicken the first time with Ryan Singer, Chad Ryden, 
and, and my face burning off and, and my eyes watering and think I might need to go to the hospital. And then later, years later, I don't even know how many, I was at Bonnaroo. I remember taking Kyle Kinane to Prince's Chicken, but I didn't get the hot stuff. I got the medium and it was, I, it, it was not satisfying. I guess I wanted to burn my face off and try to figure out whether I need to go to the hospital or not. I remember being down here and go, going to Arnold's meeting three. I remember being down here playing the same place over here that I'm going to play tonight, the, the Polk uh, Center at TPAC. I remember running over to the Ryan to see Jason Isbell and sitting next to his manager, and she told me how much his new uh, 59 uh, Sunburst West Paul cost. And I don't need to tell you about it, but it cost some bread, man. Yeah, I remember Bonnaroo. I remember being at Bonnaroo and and actively deciding I will never do another festival uh, again. I will never do comedy at another festival again. Even if it's an air-conditioned tent, I will never do comedy at a rock festival again. I remember trying to get to the front row of Radiohead at Bonnaroo because someone knew someone to get us there, and we almost got trampled and killed. A lot of memories, a lot of memories. Arnold's meeting three, right next to uh, Carter's Vintage Guitars. I remember almost buying one of Ed King's Gold Tops for $20,000, but I couldn't fucking fathom it. And just think, folks, had I done that, that might have been the Gold Top that fell down last week and broke its headstock off. And that would have been different uh, if it were Ed King's old Gold Top that cost me $20,000 as opposed to one that I got for free from Gibson for doing a video for Brendan Small and it was not an original 56. It was a new guitar. Sad, but I, I imagine not as devastating, not as traumatic. But here I am. Here I am again in Nashville. And I know I, I can't tell you how the show went because I don't know, but I've, I've got a plan. I'm going to do this hour and I and I think I, I think I've got it. And I gotta stick with it. It's like this is it. I don't have any more time. I don't have it. It's gotta happen. So look, Clea Duval uh is someone I've always appreciated, loved her acting, and I really like this series. It's called High School. It's part of Amazon Free V, which you can stream, uh, as the name says, for free. It's also available on Prime Video. Uh, her animated series, House Broken, is on Fox and is streaming on Hulu. They just released a one-hour holiday special. But but I was I was moved uh, by uh, high school. I get moved in general by things uh, shot uh, uh, around that time because it was such an uncomfortable time for me. And I guess it triggers a lot of uh, a lot of feelings that I don't always really realize I have. So this is me uh, talking to uh, Clea Duvall. Are you used to talking on mics? Um, I wrote, yeah, because I, I, yes. 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 <laughs> because why? You've done I, some cartoons? Yeah. Yeah. Which cartoons? Um, I created an animated show. Oh. Um, and it was the only way that I could ever get voiceover work was right. creating this animated yeah. show called yeah. um, Housebroken with uh, two of the writers from Veep. Oh, when did that um, happen? I didn't know about that. Yeah, that we um, the f- we first aired last summer, uh-huh. and then we've been off the air. But then this year we have two holiday episodes. Where was it on? Where's it on? On Fox. Really? Yeah. Is it popular? Not yet. Yeah. But I've I hear that that's normal for um early early days. Yeah. Animation. It's hard to know. Yeah. When something's popular. 
Yeah, especially what, now. Yeah, and what justifies it? What makes something popular? Yeah. And where, can you get real numbers? Yeah. Does anyone give a shit? You're kind of relating on, you're kind of uh, sort of relying on Twitter and weird mail. Email. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Look, four people like it. That means something. Yeah. People are doing erotic uh, drawings of our characters. That's good, That's right? Gotta be, that means yeah. people like it. It's yeah. a good family show. Exactly. <laughs> oh, are they doing erotic? Uh... Yeah. And that that's what we heard was a good sign as if people are sexualizing our characters. Our, cartoons. And they're, they're cartoons. They're also animals. Right. Um, it's animals in group therapy. Right. So who, um, who's that hurting? Sexualizing animal exactly, cartoons. You exactly. know what I mean? Have fun. It's like Big Mouth. I think Big Mouth oh, yeah. gets a lot of that. You know, ta- sure. people doing tattoos mm-hmm. of the characters. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a testament to some sort of following. Yeah. But it, sometimes it's a little disturbing. It is, but I, I enjoy it. Sure. I enjoy it. Yeah. The cre- I enjoy the creativity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If something uh, instigates or, or inspires creativity, it's great. So I can't, I don't know if we've met before, have we? I was thinking about that. I, f- I feel like maybe we have in passing. Yeah, I think at the place. Yeah, at the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, I have um, a memory of you from the place, and I can't even remember if we actually met or if right. it was just a like, oh, hey, yeah. how you doing? Right, right. I, uh, I, 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 could, I, I could probably use the, the place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not frequenting the place enough lately. Oh yeah, I haven't been to the place in a little while. Myself. Oh really? Yeah. I'm okay, but you know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, did you like? I was looking because you're one of these people that I, I, I feel like I've known for years because I've seen you in things for mm-hmm. years. And did you? You where'd you grow up? Here? I grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, the the whole time. Yeah, the whole time I've never lived anywhere else. Do you have brothers and sisters? No, just me. Really? Yeah. Was that weird? <laughs> it I mean it was what I knew. Right. And now and it wasn't until much later that I realized that it is weird. I always I when I meet only children I I just I always ask the same question and and for a while everyone said I was wrong. Uh which was that didn't you feel like that was a lot of pressure? I mean yes and no. My parents were not like super, you know, super focused on me. Yeah, well, so, oh, because they're in the biz, right? No, they're oh. not. They weren't. I didn't grow up around the business at all. You didn't? No. What's your old man do? Um, he did a lot of sort of odd jobs. He did start acting when um when I was older. Um on your was, coattails? No, no, oh, no. Oh, when oh. I was old like an older kid, he yeah. was probably when I was probably like eleven or twelve or something, he oh, started So not early acting. on. No. They were just regular people in Los Angeles? Yeah, just regular people. What did he do? Odd jobs. Yeah. Odd jobs, yeah. Yeah. I didn't really have like a career. And your mom? Uh, my mom worked, f- she also had odd jobs. She worked, she did a lot of like accounting work. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But just regular folks. Yeah, just regular folks. So, what, how did you end up drifting into show business? Well, my dad, when my dad started getting into acting, he would do acting classes. And, you were 11. Yeah, 11 or 12. Yeah. And, um, and I started, and he would be preparing for scenes and stuff for his acting classes, and I would read them with him oh. and got super into it. And I would like get in whatever outfit of the character I was playing. And, you know, he would teach me how to deconstruct scenes and yeah. all that stuff. And I really loved it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's because, like, he's, he's sort of a, 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 a weird character actor. Right. Yeah, he's a character actor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he does kind of scary things usually, or sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He always plays very intense guys. Is he an intense guy? 
Yeah, he's an intense guy, yeah. <laughs> Is he still around? Yeah, yeah. And you guys get along? We, um, you know, it's it's complicated. Like, all families are complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and as you get older, like, all you can do is sort of, you know, accept or, or draw a line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I talk to people, I talk to... Uh, Colin Hanks yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, and it's just sort of like everyone's got things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and you either integrate them. I talk about it on stage all the time. I don't really know what to do with it usually. When people say to me, you know, you know, you're almost sixty. You're, you are you still mad at your parents? And uh-huh. sort of like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's like, does that go away, or do we just shove it down? I don't know. I mean, I don't feel mad. I, I think I spent a lot of time feeling mad at my yeah. parents, and I and I think I am now overwhelmed by compassion for them. Oh, see, that's what happens if they live long enough. Yeah. Well, my mom passed away when I was twenty-seven. Oh, okay. Um, and that I think was like a a an overdose of compassion once yeah. she got sick. Oh yeah. Um, because we, I was very angry with her for a very long time, and our relationship was yeah. in a very bad place when. Yeah. Really? When I found out she was sick. And uh, then there was something about that. Yeah. That just like kind of knocked it all out of me. And right. I was able to see her as a human being and be, you know, she was sick for a year before she died and like spend time with her. And, yeah. Um, I was not evolved enough to have the conversations that we should have had. But at least, you know. Was it around acceptance? It was, yeah, around acceptance and like, you know, I was really mad at her for how she handled my coming out, but yeah. I didn't realize that until many years later yeah. and, you know, it it was just... Uh, so were you able to have any of those conversations? No, I didn't know I was mad until... Oh, all right. Like, I, I just knew I, I was mad, but I didn't know why. Yeah. Um, but you were able to show up later. for her. Yes, I was able to show up with her for her and spend time with her. And, well, that's you know, good. Yeah. Yeah, because my old man's got like he's got dementia now, so oh. there's sort of a race against time. Yeah. To you know, I mean, I don't feel like we have anything to resolve, but just to stay in the memory. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What What did she have? Your mom? She had cancer. Oh. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Were they still married when it happened? No, my parents divorced when I was twelve, I think. Oh really? Yeah. Well, so that's. So you started acting like young though, right? Eighteen. And what, how how did that like unfold? Because you always, you always have like a, a fairly profound presence in whatever you're in, I believe. That's nice. Thank it you. It is. It is like you're a memorable person. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And what was the first thing? This the the first thing was a a very bad movie that was a ripoff of the craft called Little Witches. Yeah. Um, and we were witches at a Catholic boarding school who summoned the devil <laughs> yeah. over Easter break. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what was your experience with that? Had you feel, did you feel confident as an actor at that time? Because you had done so much of this stuff with your dad? I, I mean, I was nervous, but it was fun. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. also so young that yeah. like I didn't know how scared. <laughs> who else like, was in it? Um, the Zelda Rubenstein yeah. and... Uh, I remember like Exine Cervenka was in it, but really? I don't remember how big her part was. Right. And then it was um, a lot of newer actors. But like, no one we know now? No. Well, no. So it's so weird, right? Do you ever think about like that cast? It's like, what happened to them? I do. I do <laughs> think about them because it was such a, we were so bonded because it was, yeah. I think all of our first movies. Right. And you're like kids. Yeah. And then they just kind of go away. Yeah. It's weird when you find those people. Sometimes they're still in the business, but they're like, Mom, I'm doing theater. I live in St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was one one of the girls I stayed friends with, yeah. and I think she lives in Texas now. 
but I don't, I think she's like business adjacent somehow, but I don't yeah. really know. Yeah. And when did you start like really feeling like you were starting to be able to do it? Well, I guess Wildflowers has sort of like a following, doesn't it? Does it? I haven't encountered a ton of people who have, who have seen, seen it, it? Oh, but yeah, that yeah. movie is the reason why I have a career. How so? Well, we I was working at Buzz Coffee on Sunset, which is now a Starbucks. It's where the Sunset Five with, yeah. That is now an AMC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Know, on Crescent Heights. Yeah, right at Crescent Heights, in the mall. Yeah, in the yeah. mall. I was working there, and um, I got an audition for this movie, Wildflowers, yeah. and um, Sheila Jaffe, who is an, a, an incredible casting director, yeah. um, brought me in. They were seeing every girl in Hollywood, and yeah. And I auditioned with her, and she just kind of took a liking to me. Yeah. And then she would come into Buzz because she her office was down the street, and yeah. we would just like sit and talk. And she really got behind me. And then I had an, a call back with the director, and then the director really liked me, um, but the financiers did not. They wanted more of a like blonde, you know, girl next door type of person. Uh huh. And um, I was not that. And, but they really dug their heels in, and then the financiers were like, okay, if you want this girl, then you can't yeah. have the money. So they pulled the money. But because of that, we went to the Sundance Filmmakers Lab right. with the project. And Who'd you um, work with? James Gandolfini. Really? Yeah. Played my dad um, at the lab, and he was supposed to be in the movie, but he couldn't. Maybe because of um, the Sopranos? Sopranos. Maybe. I wonder. I'm trying. I don't know what year that started. But how was it remember. like meeting that guy? Did awesome. You? He was so fantastic. Really? Yeah. He was an amazing actor to work with and such a sweet guy. And it was really, I felt very lucky that oh, that's I got great. to work with him. Yeah. Because I know that the Sundance Lab, they have mentorships kind of thing. Like people work, you know, yeah. either you work with somebody or someone shepherds you through it. Yeah. But he played your dad. Who else was involved? Um, I can't remember the name of the actress who played my mom, but there were amazing creative advisors that year. Like Kathy Bates was there. Oh, and wow. Sally Field. And Whoa. David Cronenberg came and screened Crash before it came out. Wow. Um, that must it, have been the turning point. It Yeah. Yeah. And I met there Robin Tunney, who um, introduced me to her manager, Myrna Jacoby. And yeah. then Myrna was really, you know, she really brought me into a, into the real business. You yeah. know, I was sort of on the outskirts. Yeah. And um, Myrna worked so hard for me and really, like, helped give me a career wow so that yeah. like so that was sort of like some baptism into the business yeah you yeah. met everybody all at once yeah and be and, and all those films before they didn't really do anything you were just kind of scrambling uh, well i hadn't done those films it was those all of that came after i went to sundance so i had done i had done the little witches movie yeah and then i did some commercials yeah that allowed me to quit my coffee job right and then start acting for real and then i got you know i would get guest stars on like er and um this was that was after wildflowers or before before oh you're doing the movie yeah. fell apart and we went to the lab and it didn't we didn't end up making it for a couple of years oh. so i did like the faculty yeah, and yeah, then yeah, 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 you know yeah, girl yeah. interrupted and stuff right. happened after that but wildflowers hadn't come out yet so it was oh, sort wow. of like in the string yeah of yeah movies. So you did, you, but you were just working you did yeah. commercials and stuff yeah i only ever got one commercial yeah but it turned into like 12 commercials for what for kudos bars oh yeah um yeah granola bars yeah no but i guess there's you know that's not a big sellout no i mean listen <laughs> it was only my second job so i couldn't be selling out too soon but it's like it's not something awful no you know, no, no no yeah you know what I mean? it's a granola bar yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. you're helping people yeah it's not like ammunition or something like that. <laughs> you're not selling guns yeah <laughs> 
But I guess the reason I thought Wildflowers had some sort of uh, uh, retroactive attention, it, it was sort of a subversively almost uh, gay movie. Yes, it definitely had some gay undertones to it and incestuous yeah, uh-huh. undertones because it was like that vibe was with the the long lost mother character. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I mean, nothing ever happened, but it definitely was... A um, little loaded? A little loaded. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing felt very loaded. And do you find that, like, since, you, since you've come out, that people look at your previous career and see you in a different way and rethink things? I mean, I listen, I don't think yeah. I was fooling anybody at the time. You know? <laughs> Let's be real. You knew. Yeah, I knew. Yeah. And people in my life knew, but um, it wasn't... And I, you know, like, I think that there is just... I do I do find that now people talk about a lot of my roles as gay roles, even yeah. like in the faculty, right. which I right. wasn't actually gay, but right. then I was pretending to be gay. Right. But it was pretty gay. Pretty it was gay. all pretty gay. Right. But it, well, that's it's it's sort of interesting that, I mean, you kind of know that, and it, even if it's suggested, but now that you can own it, mm-hmm. then, you know, people in the community can own it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So it becomes sort of, you be, you become a representative yeah. in a way. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. But did you feel that before you came out? Like, did you feel like there was pressure or? I did feel a lot of pressure. Um, because it, when did you, it was, it took a while, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I came out around, like after, like, if, I mean, I was, I was out in my life when I was 16. Oh yeah? And like, yeah, I came out at 16. Um, but then professionally, it didn't happen until I was thirty-five. Sixteen. Okay, so yeah. that like so that's was that was why it was difficult for your mom. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what what was her particular reaction to it? Well, was it she, like you know, like you, you are you sure? It was. She was mad, oh. and she just did. She just didn't want it to be real. And, uh, right. Um. She just didn't believe in it. Interesting. So it, she thought it was something that, like, I was doing wrong that she needed to fix. Huh. Or I needed to fix. Didn't believe in it. Yeah. Or at least not for you, that there, you know, you yeah. must be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That I, yeah. But how, were that you weren't religious, they weren't, were they? My mom was raised Catholic. Oh, okay. And I think that really stuck put the but i think she really believed i mean i I know she really believed that it was something that i could get rid of (laughs) and that i should get rid of and i was like no i shouldn't there's nothing wrong with me yeah um so you took that position right away yeah 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 that's good that you had the fortitude to to not somehow yeah you know feel like you were wrong yeah or sick or whatever yeah and what about your old man he was just mad that I told my mom first. <laughs> he was really <laughs> mad at me because he had asked me yeah. before I came out to my mom and I said no because yeah. I was so thrown off by it. By by what her reaction? No, I was thrown off by him asking oh, me. Oh, okay, yeah. And I didn't like, and I was like, I was not ready to come out yet. So I s- told him, I said no to him. Yeah. And then later when I came out, out to my mom, and then my mom called my dad uh-huh. and told him he was then mad at me and didn't talk to me for a while because I, because ha- I lied to him. Oh wow! And I was like, "But I'm a child," yeah. <laughs> and it's a heavy thing, and I'm nervous. Yeah. yeah, you know that's. And I'm not ready to say that to myself. And like, I mean, I was saying I was it was about the person, quote unquote. And so I was saying that until I was like thirty. 
Wow. Because, um, you know. What do you mean about the person? That it's to not have to say that you're gay. To yeah. not have to say that I was gay. Yeah. That I was like, you know, I could be with a man or a woman. It's really about the person. Right, right. Oh, so you that know? Was, yeah, that was it the, was, the I line. I skated by on that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a common thing? I, yeah, I think so. I yeah. Think so, yeah. Just, and that somehow is just to pander to straight people. I think that, it's really, I think it's about, I mean, for me, I can't yeah. speak for everybody, but it, but for me, it was really about my own internalized homophobia and not wanting to be gay. You yeah. Know, wishing that I could just be, quote unquote, normal. You, you, you experienced that? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. From, from when you were a kid? I think it was, I mean, not when I was a kid, because yeah. I didn't even really think about gayness when I was right. a kid. Yeah. Um, but then... Uh, once it, you know, once I started realizing that I was, you know, having these feelings, yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to admit that I was gay. You know, right, it, was, sure. it just felt like, you know, scary. Right. But, uh, well, but the homophobia didn't manifest as you hating yourself. You just didn't want to deal with what the life of, uh, with the, what being gay would bring you. In terms yeah, of culturally, yeah, that. But I do think that there was some shame attached to it. Oh, really? Yeah, Cause yeah. Because you, you just and you had no control over it. Yeah. Oh my God. So how long does it take to work through that stuff? I mean, for me, it really took. Into it was like in my thirties is when I started to feel better about it. Huh. And I kind of let go of that. That's that's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. So when how you had done a lot of movies like when you were in but i'm a cheerleader and all these movies mm-hmm. you, you knew and your friends knew but you still weren't really out not professionally no and did, was there a reason for not did you feel like you couldn't do it professionally or i i did feel like i couldn't do it professionally and there were people close to me um professional people close to me who were like you just it in the 90s yeah it was just sort of a given that you would be closeted. There was right. no conversation about it. It was more, you know, like a, the silent understanding of, okay, well, that's a thing we don't talk about. Yeah, why make you a know? big deal? Exactly. We're like, working. Yeah, why yeah. limit yourself? Yeah. Why get, you know, yeah. pigeonholed? Like, just yeah. you just don't talk about it. Right. So it always felt like this, you know, unspoken agreement that it was something that I would keep to myself. With your representatives. Yes, yeah. And and then you when did you come out finally? It was um what I mean it, I never did a like big people magazine yep I'm gay cover. No. It was just I uh when I when I wrote the the first movie that I directed um and I I knew I wanted to write a part for myself. Yeah. And I really had I had this like moment of okay, I can write a straight character. Yeah. Or I can write a character that is really true to who I am. Right. And I decided to write a gay character. Uh-huh. And um and then knew that because of that then that meant that I would be, you know, talking about my own sexuality when press came up like inevitably right. it would right. just happen oh. and so that was sort of the moment that I was like, okay, so, I think I'm ready to talk about this. So you kind of uh you 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 created a scenario where you would be comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And you could just sort of like you, you know, not make a big deal of it, yeah. but just kind of casually Yeah. And that, oh, that was smart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Just ease it in. And that was for the intervention? Yeah, the intervention. And that was the first movie, like, that you wrote, directed yourself. Yeah. So, throughout it all, were you always thinking about writing and directing? I mean, 
I I wanted to be a writer originally when I was a kid. I would yeah. just sit in my room and yeah. write for eight hours. So yeah. that's always what I thought I would end up doing. But um, directing, when working with Robert Rodriguez really made filmmaking feel accessible. Which movie was that? On the faculty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was just so inclusive and so excited about filmmaking and yeah. wanted to share it with everyone. And that sort of sparked that you know the the desire in me to and you were young direct. yeah i was 20 when yeah made that so, movie, he's, so he was like he, he, that's where you saw how it all worked yeah yeah and he you know like he would let me get on the crane and pull focus and was just so you know would come to work every day and show us something he had edited like really? he, it was the most he's the most inclusive director and I've out ever in texas worked with. yeah in austin that it, was so fun yeah um and that so that sparked that in me and then but, but i didn't really start uh trying to do that until a lot later well was there other experiences with directors that informed your approach or that you know you, you what kind of picking up this stuff as we went yeah i mean i think uh, you know i've i've been lucky to work with so many great directors and really keep my eyes open yeah. and like i'm i'm the actor who when i'm not shooting i'm still on set just observing because i love being on set and yeah because who the trailers are the worst the trailers are the worst and it's just, you know, you only get to be on set for a little while. You know, you only yeah. get, the thing ends. You yeah. stop shooting and it's really, you know, and I, it's the best job in the world and we're so lucky to get to do it. Right. And I'm, there is never a day that I'm on set that I don't know that. So I just like to make the most of it when I'm there. So, you know, I, re- I, I would always sort of just watch and see how the directors worked with not only the actors, but like with the crew and, yeah. you know, what they did and pick, you know, really paid attention to the directors who were doing it well and yeah. the ones who weren't. It's a, it's a strange magical place that to be on set. Yeah. Cuz like you're just converging on this moment where it's like everyone shuts up. Yeah. And this <laughs> thing happens. Yeah. It's like wild cuz there's all this activity and then it's like action and yeah. like whoosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. It is. I you know, I don't think I've gotten uh specifically excited about that before until just now really thinking about cuz I'm the same way. I'll sit on set cuz I just can't stand to be in the trailer and I just like to go to craft services over and over again <laughs> <laughs> and eat stuff and wonder what kind of food. It's yeah. really a lot about food on set for me. There I mean, I think that's true for everybody. You're, you know, you the day starts, you have your breakfast and then you're like when is the mid-morning snack happening? Sure, sure. And who's going to eat that fucking donut? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who who ate half of it and left half of it there? Yeah. Which person did that? Yeah, I it's always a, about food. But yeah, but it's really true about that moment cuz I try really hard to cuz I don't I didn't come up an actor, so I'm getting opportunities to do it and and I have I have a hard time sort of uh thinking that the waiting 6 hours is worth the 3 minutes mm-hmm. that or 12 minutes that you repeat the same thing over and over again, you know, for however long it's going to be in the movie. Like it's really hard for me and also, no matter how many sets you've been on, you know how it's going to go. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a point where you're waiting where you go like, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what they're doing. Like, well, there's just still lighting. And how is that possible? Yeah, it is. It is pretty. It's pretty wild the way time works on sets. Yeah. Where sometimes it just goes so fast and then yeah. sometimes it is just dragging out and you don't understand what's happening. Right. But. But it sounds like your interest in everything w- would have made it a little easier. But yeah. I guess my question was, how have you always been able to um, is 
obviously you've been acting a long time and you're good at it and you take risks and you know you seem to keep evolving so were you early on able to make that time on camera like when you converged on the moment where it was your time to act to make that rewarding somehow do you know because i because that's you have to find meaning in that yeah and it's not a long time that you're doing it you're you may be sitting around a long time yeah but do you find you you feel connected to it and you find meaning in it? I mean, sometimes, yeah. not always. Right. You know, there yeah. are definitely certain scenes that I walk away and I'm like, well, I never want to act again. <laughs> I would say 60% of the time that I'm on set now, yeah. I th- am thinking I should never do this again. Really? Yeah. I hate it. Wow. And then- Is that just you being hard on yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's me being like, why did anyone <laughs> hire me for this? Like, I used to have something and now I don't. And, you know, <laughs> oh, like, no. but yeah. then, you know, but then the other 40% of the time yeah. it like clicks in and it locks and you really connect with that person. And like you have a director who's giving you notes that allow you to so- unlock new things in the scene. And yeah, it's yeah. really exciting. And yeah. then that's worth it. Yeah. Do you get to that? What, are you one of those people? Like, I'm one of those people. I do it too. When the director is sort of like, okay, we got it. And you're like, no. Are you sure? <laughs> that didn't, where you doubt them. They're the ones who are making the decision, but you don't feel good about the take. I've got, I've gotten to the place where I'm just like, okay, yeah. you say so. You know sure. what you're looking for. You I don't to. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I also, I am my own worst critic. So yeah. that, you know, it is rare that I do a take and I'm like, nailed it yeah you know that that does yeah, not yeah. happen right i'm always gonna feel like oh that moment didn't feel quite right but yeah. it's also like they know right how it's gonna cut together and they know what they need right yeah yeah, yeah. and i don't so yeah. i sort of give over i think directing has helped me give over more as an actor yeah because i just know that you know i know that they know what they want and what they need for right the scene. and if i'm not giving them something in this specific moment it's Probably because in their mind, they know that they're going to be on a different shot anyway. Right. You know, right. So. Exactly. Yeah. Or when they decide not to do a shot. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's always the weird thing where it's like, we're not going to do these three pages. I'm like, but I, what if she, I did the, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you, you do get a lot of like heavier roles. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What, and what do you attribute that to? Like, I don't know. I mean, I am a very silly person. Yeah. And I really enjoy funny people. And, yeah. um, but I don't know. I think maybe, I think it, it's when, probably from when I was younger and yeah. I was a more serious, more right. shy, reserved yeah. person. Yeah. And I also wasn't just, you know, the uh, bubbly girl. And yeah. so I think you know people are like well then you must be dark and like let's have let's hire you to be the girl who like kills someone or gets killed <laughs> yeah. or has a drug problem you right. know you just became and, that person yeah. yeah yeah um did did things change specifically in how you were treated after you came out did you find i mean i definitely got a lot of uh a lot more offers to play gay people they were like we got one yeah exactly <laughs> Um, but it, I mean, I think it's also, there are a lot more gay roles now there, you know, it was a lot more rare before, but. Right. You're able to see this shift in culture. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I, like that, the, the, the second film that you did, the kind of family, the holiday movie. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have made that 10 years ago. No. Right? No. And it's like sort of an amazing thing. It is. It really is. 
Um, and when you worked on that, do you, do you feel like you're you're do you feel like sort of an, an elder in the sense that you you know are able to to take your talent and and create this these worlds in a, in a cultural uh, that's more accepting and 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 it kind of strengthens the the sort of community in the trip. I mean, with that movie, it really just felt like, you know, I felt so lucky that we got to make it and that it, you know, that there were so many people who wanted to make it. That yeah. was so exciting. And then this, it, it um, really... We, I, don't, we, I don't think we said the name oh, of the happiest movie. Season. Happiest Season. Yeah. yeah, Happiest Season. Yeah, it was, you know, and there were so many gay people on the set. And yeah. I'm so used to always being the only gay p- person on the set. Yeah. And that was so fun. It just, it really just felt like this very accepting... Um, warm environment. It, representation is an interesting thing, mm-hmm. y- y- in in the sense that when it, it it's real, yeah, uh, it you do have this weird sense of 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 community that you don't usually have, yeah, y- you know, and it, it like it's, it's not sort of like well, there's one here, or the, you know, yeah, but it's like it, you feel like everybody's the collaboration is different, absolutely, absolutely, and it's also like cr- it changes the cr- the crew too, and like because the. I've, on Happiest Season, there were some gay crew members yeah. who I didn't know were gay, you know, who right. like found that who really wanted to be a part of the project and then would pull me aside, <laughs> kind of pulled me aside, yeah. you know, yeah. as we got a couple of weeks in and they're like, you know, I'm gay and I found out about this project and I really wanted to work on it. It's so exciting to be able to work on that. And it's just, you know, it's not just about the, you know, people in front of the camera. Yeah. It is, it is everyone in the film industry who, you know, feeling that like they want to be a part of something that you know, represents their own experience. And and it enables people to do that. Yeah. And 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 also own it. Yeah. I, I you know, I've I've really come in some like there's something happening in the way that I'm feeling about uh you, you know, I get really kind of annoyed when people are like, you know, I'm a storyteller. Uh-huh. You know, and like, <laughs> like all that shit. You know, it, it's important to be authentic and you know, these words. Yeah. But you start to realize that in the cultural climate we're in, and when you, you really have this sense of, of there being two worlds and two media worlds mm-hmm. even, that, like, I used to think, like, does it does it really matter or are we just sort of like, a, you know, a tree falling in the forest, you know, when you do this stuff? Mm-hmm. Are we still just preaching to the choir or whatever? But the truth of the matter is, is that on some level, the fight for inclusion, you know, in our business is going to mirror and represent yeah, and and have a profound impact. Yeah, especially in in a world where everybody's isolated and thinks everybody's like a, a hateful fuck. Mm-hmm. It does make a big difference. Yeah, do you feel that? Oh yeah, about? it does. Like yeah. I used to be. I I don't know if I was hopeless, but cynical about it. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, we're having a, we're really having a lot of success integrating fiction. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, how's that going to work in the real world? But it, I think it does. Yeah, and I think oddly. You know, most people live in fairly kind of diverse and 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 uh, different type of workspaces and lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not really that segregated. Yeah. Well, so I guess I'm just excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> but when so early on, though, when you're struggling with blaming yourself, um, was you know, did you ever feel it would do you in? Like, did you feel like you were going to self destruct because of it? Because of uh, just being feeling uncomfortable, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely thought, oh, I'm not going to have a career anymore. People are going to find out. Like, I already am up against so much just because of 
not looking like yeah. the t- you know typical actress, you right. know, and that w- when people know I'm gay, then that's going to be the end. Yeah, you so know? you live with that every day. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I think actors also like every actor, no matter who they are, thinks they're never going to work again. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure even the most successful people are like, well, that's it. Yeah, I'll yeah. never have another hit movie. You know, but so then to be someone who was like kind of weird and then also gay i was just like this <laughs> this can't get out yeah. even though i'm not doing a great job hiding it just by exi- you know walking around and existing it was yeah. still like i don't need to talk about it and who are your peers in the business do you have acting people that you are friends with yeah uh natasha leone and melanie linsky carly uh, Gallagher are all my best friends really and, yeah those are the best ladies they're the best ladies <laughs> the best ladies and we've all been friends for I mean, God, for 25 years. And Natasha went through some serious shit, she man. She did. She did. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that resurrection was crazy. It's really incredible what she's done. I mean, when I talked to her years ago, she was just coming out of whatever the fuck that was. And, and you know, she'll talk about it, but you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I just talked to Wes Bentley. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was like, Jesus, man. Like dark times. He's doing well though. Yeah, he's on Yellowstone. He's like ten years sober. Oh, that's awesome. He's public about it. He's got a family. You know, he's got clarity. He's grounded. That's nice. It's crazy. Someone was just talking to me about Yellowstone this morning. People are talking about it. People love the show. They do watch it. And like smart, weird people like it. You know, it's easy to be like, what is it, a cowboy thing? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I guess people like Deadwood, and I never watched that. I never watched Deadwood either. I don't know why. It just seemed too complicated. It seemed complicated. I don't like old-timey stuff. You don't? I like everything set in modern day. Well, I think, like, looking at The Happiest Season, and, you know, I watched all of the uh, uh, the Tegan and Sarah's show. I oh. watched the full whole season. Oh, wow. I didn't expect to. But, like, I, there's something about high school stuff where I'm just sitting there, like, crying like an uh-huh. idiot. Like, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> it is. I know. But I think what's interesting about the, the, the sort of presentation and context of, you know, The Happiest Season, which is, you know, it, it's it, it, the subject matter is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, it's certainly gay-friendly and gay, you know, driven. But the, the, the context is something that everybody knows. Yeah. And and I think that that's the same with with this new one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is that like it seems like you went out of your way to to sort of explore the beginning of the sexuality of one of them, and and then but but it's really set in a very matter of fact yep. kind of like way. It's not loaded, it's not indie, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of like this is high school. This is the way it was. This yeah. is the way it is for these kids. Yeah, and you're con- you were that's a decision. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's with you know with with happiest season i'm such a fan of christmas movies and i really just wanted to make a christmas movie with you know a character that i could relate to at the center of it yeah and you know not trying to like blow up the genre really just trying to like have a story told from a different perspective a perspective that you were familiar with and and that was somehow never been seen before yeah yeah and so that you know so i just i approached it just like I was making a Christmas movie. Uh-huh. And, you know, with, with high school, it was, I w- approached it like making a coming of age story. It's like, I think, and really wanting it to feel timeless and classic. And I think, you know, it was the same approach with Happiest Season of just like, I want it to be something that can last, that doesn't feel dated, that doesn't feel like it's being weighed down by 
you know, by a period. Yeah, Yeah, period, like really just something that, you know, with high school, like something that felt very representative of what I grew up with as a kid in the 90s and wanting it to feel like that and really, you know, just trying to connect with that rather than, yeah, you know. I think it was, and the happy season, that has that, that's found like an audience for itself, right? It, it is a... Yeah, people like it. It is a movie that people watch at the holiday times. That's what people tell me, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's sweet. Who tell, like, who do you find tells you that? I mean, just I, people that I meet on yeah. the street or yeah. people will like tweet at me oh, yeah. or, oh, yeah. you know, people friends will say oh now we watch it that's our new christmas movie oh, that we watch every year and uh, it's really like so meaningful you know that's and did that like how did your first movie do um it did okay some people liked it and some people didn't like it but it showed that you were capable yeah yeah and you know getting the opportunity for for the happiest season which you co-wrote like how how, how what was the the big jump in that process because that's kind of a big movie yeah. I mean, yes, it was. Um, How'd you pull it together? Did you get cast first or you had the script first? The script Obviously, first. Yeah. The script first. And then um, we went to, uh, we took it around to studios because yeah. we knew we wanted to make it a studio movie. Yeah. And who um, did it? It was TriStar. Yeah. Huh. Haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Are they still around? Yeah. 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 And and what was who like who championed it? Who said, Okay, this sounds great? It was Hannah Mangella, who was running TriStar at the time, uh-huh. and Sherry Shirazi, who's an executive at TriStar who's still there. Yeah. Um, and then it uh Hannah ended up leaving working somewhere else. Yeah. And then Nicole Brown, who is still there, yeah. Um became our executive and they really like, you know, supported it and made yeah. it happen. Good actresses. Great actresses, yeah. Because I worked with Brie for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. She is, isn't she? She really is. She's got a birthday coming up. She does. Yeah. That's, yeah, she's very focused and very funny. It was very interesting doing Glow with like Gilpin and, and Brie because mm-hmm. they're two totally different approaches. Yeah. You know, it's wild when you see, because I like, again, I didn't come up acting, but it's really interesting to see how people approach it mm-hmm. and you can see how they work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, like Allison is like, you know, making choices and, you know, and she knows exactly what she's going to do when she goes in, she's going to do it every time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Gilpin, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it it's was, fun. It is. How do you do it? I, I, I mean, I have a, a a base. Yeah. And then I allow what my what what my scene partners are doing to like help. Yeah, yeah. You know, evolve it. Yeah. But um, but also depends on what it is because like on on Veep. Yeah. I was working with these like comic geniuses, and oh, I was not God. that. They, you know, aren't they? They are all brilliant. I mean, I can't, like, I've talked to Julia, and you're sort of like, oh, my God. She, There's, like, no one funnier than this person ever. No. She is an absolute genius, and I could not believe what she did. And I was also just like, I'm just here to support you. And, you know, my, my character was so stone-faced all yeah. the time and so monotone that yeah. I was, like, really just there to you know, support everyone else but around that, me. But that was a choice, right? I yeah. mean, like, because, like, you must have been directed because the character is funny, your character. Yeah. Only because, like, you know, you're, it's sort of, you're the only grounded one in the whole fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so, it, you know, you are, you turn out to be, like, the, the sort of, the, the reference of, of, like, you know, what is, 
you know, what's what's with these people? You know, yeah. But but was that something that you knew or that you were directed to do? It was the. I mean, I came in with the. I mean, I'm trying to remember like what the description was. It was, but just that she's very sort of serious and humorless, right? But then you know, I think as it went on, finding these, you know finding these moments and like the writers were so good at you know giving her new little weird things and (laughs) right she was get she got definitely got weirder and more specific but i think it was really you know i think also through working you know being in the scenes and working with julia and like that dynamic got so funny just because did she make suggestions and stuff she yeah she's so inv- she was very involved in everything and it was like it's one of those relationships on screen too where you're 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 being used yeah <laughs> by the daughter as you know a reaction mm-hmm. right yeah which i think probably happens yeah have you ever been in that experience in real life i mean not that i can not oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that i can think of off the top right, of my right. head but so it's a, but i don't know that the character necessarily knew that no she definitely didn't right. i think she's very uh earnest or very earnest <laughs> to a fault and there's no yeah. place for that in, in the veep world yeah and that I, that must have been a blast if i can it was the greatest it was the greatest job i've ever had it was yeah? so fun yeah how like how were you you, you were like on it a lot i, I mean, did how, three seasons so that's a lot yeah so with this Tegan and Sarah thing, like sadly, you know, I'm 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 too old to have experienced them as performers. Mm-hmm. But I, I did go listen to stuff, and I and I didn't really, I don't know that I realized until I watched the first episode because I'm like, I do my homework, but I I don't I don't it takes me a while to realize that that it was really a true story, mm-hmm. and it it's sort of like it makes it unique, yeah. Because, like, you can't really just come up with this idea like these twins yeah, <laughs> who happen to be pop stars and one of them, I, I don't know if they're, are they both gay? Or yeah, the, they're both gay. Yeah. So they, because uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I know where the one's at. Mm-hmm. But I, I, we don't know at the end of the season what's going to happen with the other one. Really. Yeah. But you can't really construct that. It's such a, like, what made, when did you know, like, I got to tell this story? Well, I read their book. That I've been friends with them for like 15 years. Oh, really? and we've collaborated um, in a lot of different ways. I've directed things for them. Uh-huh. They've done music for my movies. Like yeah. we really, we've worked together a lot. And they gave me an early copy of their book, and I read it in a day and just fell in love with it. It really just captured what you know, what the experience, what what my experience of coming coming of age and coming out was in the 90s. And I really, you know, I had never really thought about doing a come like telling a coming of age story. Yeah. But it, this one just really struck me. And so I called Tegan the day after I read it and yeah. I just said, you know, don't give your don't give your book to someone to adapt it. Yeah. Like if you're going to have if you're going to turn it into anything, let me do it. And then you'll still be able to be involved and have a say over how your story is being portrayed on yeah. screen. And they said yes. And so that's how that's how, how it, it happened to be. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is like, you know, when you see like I watched I've seen, you know, I saw Bo Burnham's movie, Eighth oh, Grade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I watched Euphoria, which was like, just like, I didn't, I felt like I wasn't even supposed to be watching that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, because I'm like, that can't be high school, can it? And, 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 but then like, I don't know if it is or not, but, it, but when, when you watch your show, like, this is clearly a, a show written with a sensitivity to people of that age. Yeah. And appropriate to a time. Mm-hmm. 
and and handles things in in a sort of real life way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it feels specifically like something like parents and kids could watch. Yeah. And 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 find some uh, acceptance or or some you know uh, warmth and open mindedness there. Yeah. And that that was you saw that at the beginning. You were like. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a a big reason why I wa- why I wanted to turn it into a show and not a movie is because yeah. I felt like in a show you could really expand the world and see the perspectives of not only Tegan and Sarah. Yeah, and I like but, that that way you shoot that where where you're literally you you'll put the name of the character. Yeah. And sometimes you'll show the same situation from two points of view mm-hmm. leading up to the same moment. Yeah. 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 And being able to do that with the the parents and the friends and really because I think that, you know, what Tegan and Sarah really when they were writing the book, they really had to put themselves back in, you know, what they were thinking yeah. and how they were feeling as teenagers. They couldn't bring their adult selves to it, you know. Yeah. But I think that is, you know, for me, my adult self has, you know, has recontextualized my whole childhood and like my parents and all this stuff. And it's so valuable. And I think that's where so much where empathy comes from is being able to, you know, look at something that you thought you understood and see it in a different way. Yeah. And, and that, that comes down on you heavy as you get older. Yeah. You know, if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be a stubborn, immature person your whole life. No. Right. But sometimes, like, you know, you just, it, like, it ha- like I'm 59, and it just, it seems to happen every day. Yeah. Where I'm sort of like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I got to <laughs> I gotta repost this Gallagher episode, and he's, he was a monster, and, and I was, like, an asshole. But, like, you know, now I'm sort of like, you know, he's all right. <laughs> yeah. He's dead. But, you know, it was kind of sad, you know. Yeah. But I think also the fact that they're canadian which i didn't realize till it took me a minute you know because it's not totally revealed like there's something about canadians a little different than americans yeah definitely like there's a there's 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 a little more space you know there's there's not the same kind of crazy mm-hmm. people are a little more earnest yeah and there's a ceiling to the energy yeah you know yeah <laughs> and so i think that helped you compartmentalize the thing right yeah I think also being up there and, you know, working, oh, you shot it up there? yeah, we shot it in Calgary where they grew up and, oh my God. you know, shot at their high school. I think I went to, I've been to that diner. Oh, the Blackfoot? Yeah. Yeah. Because I did a comedy show up there that was at a room in a hotel mm-hmm. and that's like the only place you can eat late yeah. in Calgary and we went there. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Huh. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's been around forever. Uh, but did you know about all this stuff in Canada? Are you were you familiar no. with Canada? I mean, I've n- never Calgary. I've been, you know, I've spent a lot of time in uh, Vancouver and Toronto. Isn't Calgary never... that sort of that's the oil country, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. There's a lot of yahoos up there, like a lot of like there, like there's a lot of it's like it's like uh, Canada's Texas. Yeah, Wasn't, yeah. That's a... what that's what people there would say that right. It's the it, Texas there was an oil boom, so you had a lot of these kind of like you know big trucks and rich cowboys running around. There are a lot of big trucks there. And the Stampede is there, the uh, Calgary Stampede, which we were not there for it, but I guess it's a big deal. So, but also like, you know, dealing with the complex relationships of grownups mm-hmm. is like a big part of this show. Yeah. Like that, in the relationships, you know, when the when the dad finally comes in, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, is this guy all right? Yeah. And, <laughs> but, but it, it, you know, it's played very straight and you, you know, in the first season, you don't really know the backstory, mm-hmm. but you know it's just one of those things. Like he shows up, you know, he's not like one of those guys. Yeah, but it's it's kind of matter of fact, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 
And how do you, like, when you were conceiving this stuff, was that from the book? Or how do you decide just to sort of, like, have this, you don't know who he is. Yeah. And then you just, you, you all of a sudden, you're with this guy, and you're like, that's the dad? You know? That, yeah, that was, the, Laura Kittrell, who's my co-writer, co-showrunner, and I, um, I had written the first three episodes, and that's, we got picked, or the first two in the outline of the third, and then we got picked up based on those scripts. Yeah. And then once we got the pickup, Laura came, we, Laura came in, and we broke the rest of the season together, and we really liked the idea of, of kind of breaking format a little bit and sh- making you spend time with this man and then revealing who he is later. Yeah. It was something we got a lot of pushback on. But oh we, really? Yeah, but we just kept being like, no, this is how this is how it's gonna go. And when we tried to think of like other ways to do it, it just felt like too presentational yeah. or something. Like right. and 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 not something that, you know, in the in writing the show and executing the show is really using restraint and not spoon feeding things and letting things be and trusting that the audience is smart like is yeah. smart and they can, you know, pick up on what's happening and they don't need to be spoon-fed everything every moment of well, the way. Right, you know? that, not over-expository yeah. writing. But, but I think what you accommodate that with the with the style of construction mm-hmm. is that you don't have to do that if you're going to literally show the same five minutes of time yeah. from a totally different perspective yeah. leading up to the, the moment that everyone saw. Yeah. You, you like Rauschenmann it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a way. But it, it, were those actors, I, are, are a lot of them Canadian? Um, n- our main cast is not Canadian. Like the twins are not Canadian. The parents aren't. How many? Uh, how aren't. many twins did you have to audition? A lot, a lot. Huh? Yeah. And the guy who plays this, the the mother's boyfriend, you know? Oh yeah, Kyle, Kyle Bornheimer. Yeah, yeah, those like these are really kind of weird. It's a solid, interesting character because it's one of those characters where you like you wouldn't think would be, you know, you don't see that guy in depth many t- much. No. No, and it, it's that again was something that was really appealing about expanding the world and uh-huh. being able to get to know these characters and you know look at you know what the what it's like to be a step parent and how you're kind of navigating that as you're you're raising kids together. But what does it mean and what is your ownership and yeah, you know how do you connect? It's really complicated. Did you have step parents? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm. Bad. Good. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. brother's a step parent. I don't know. It all seems weird to me. I have no kids. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah. How yeah. many you got? One. Yeah. But I'm it? a but I'm I'm a step parent. So it is. Um, I think that's also like what was interesting to me about it is like how you navigate that and how you know because you are, you know, contri- your wife had you a kid parenting. going in. Yeah, she had a kid uh-huh. going into it, um, and that. Uh, Tricky, and it's huh? yeah, it's it's really interesting and like how the the relationships, you know, you know, you and the kid yeah. and then you and your partner and then the three of you together. It's also like, you know, because I am an only child and being back in like the triangle family dynamic, like that's also uh-huh. really interesting. And uh-huh. you know, it's just I think there's a lot to explore there and also and something, you know, step parents, you don't really see a lot of like the inner workings and the inner life of them. It's always Well, after watching the show, like, you know, it, you know, that kind of writing, I I don't you know, I don't know why I couldn't. You know, I watched I just sat and watched all of them. You know, and, and I'm a grown man uh-huh. with no kids. I've uh-huh. avoided everything that that show represents. Yeah. <laughs> So, so like I'm kind of a blank slate on this stuff, 
but I found it to be, you, you know, compelling to me because like I don't you know I have brother who has many kids mm -hmm. and he's a step parent and adopted kids and everything else but I don't really consider the inner workings of that because it's not my life yeah but I, and I think the way that was handled in this show it was you know really compelling because it was honest yeah there's honesty to it yeah you stripped it down somehow yeah and it's a very conscious decision not to fuck that kind of thing up or to make those characters uh, one-dimensional yeah I mean when when the stepdad you know snaps and that you know it's sort of like oh my god yeah <laughs> you're like I'm, I'm there I'm like he's got that in him he's yeah like, and how but how he came back from that was some masterful writing and acting I think Kyle Kyle is really phenomenal and the way he played that scene in the moment when he realized that maybe they were like not on a conscious level, but something inside of him made him realize that they were talking about something bigger, even though he didn't know what. Like well, just, when he said that, and he real there was that like yeah, unspoken what, realization that like mm -hmm. wait maybe she's like yeah. that he had never considered it before yeah. until that moment when he yeah, yeah 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 he played that well he played it very well that's it crazy really, like how I mean, many takes did that take we did we did the scene a bunch of times and then he did a run of that moment. And we did it. I don't. I don't remember. We did it maybe like five or six times. It's a sweet character, that guy. Yeah, it's awesome. You he's... really kind of feel for him. And the cliffhanger at the end, it's sort of like, oh man. Yeah. Where's, he, where's that going to go? Yeah. Yeah. You know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know where it's going to go. It's. It is a very. Um, you don't need to really like over dramatize this kind of thing because I think it is so relatable and you know. It it feels. Uh, real. I mean, it feels uh, authentic representation of some yeah. of this stuff. And I yeah. don't know how you did it because you don't have that much time, but you're able to do it. What, what's the what's the your your co-writer's experience? Her experience of um, family. Um, she has parents and a brother. She's from the South. She's uh, from Mississippi. She's also gay. Yeah. Um, she's great. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. Right, but but it's interesting. So you have the the experience with step parents, and I guess it's all in the book. How much of it is on is is to the T? Um, the their musical journey yeah. is pretty is sticking pretty close to the book, and um, so far, and then the relationship with Sarah and her girlfriend, the one with the secret girlfriend, like that's from the book. And have, what did they think of it? They were happy with it. They, yeah. they, thank God. I was so nervous about it. I was like, this could go great, yeah. or they, it could ruin our friendship. Really? And it didn't, yeah. It's just. I mean, it's a big deal to you know to. What would what were you concerned might ruin the friendship? Exactly? Just if they hated it, oh, or right, they were right. embarrassed, or it just didn't turn out well. But they liked it. They were really happy with it. Yeah. And where where are you picked up? How's it going to work? You don't know, or we don't know. We don't know about a second season yet, but we're we've started a mini room for season two, so we're already breaking episodes. So now. is the plan to sort of get it in under a year if you get picked up? Yes, they they if if we get picked up, we would be we would shoot next year, like early next year. And how do you how many seasons do you see of something like this? I don't want it to go beyond the book, right? Because um, I I think the whole thing is how they you know how they were shaped as everything that shaped them as people, and uh -huh. not the result of them then becoming. You know, Where does the book stars. end? When they um, a little bit after they graduate high school, oh, and yeah. sort of make the decision to. You oh, know, good. And if you can get a good timeline going, maybe the twins you know won't be twenty seven. Yeah, but they, <laughs> I know. 
that's the hardest thing about television these days is that because there's so much time in between you know seasons where you're like that kid's like 20 now yeah he's supposed to be 12 yeah how are we gonna do that it's very unnerving watching kids grow up on television it is you don't know how that's gonna go yeah <laughs> I feel like these two will stay. I feel like Rayleigh and Susan will stay looking the way they look for a few years anyway. No, definitely. Yeah. And so this is this pretty much what you're doing? This is what it, yeah. This is, it's very time consuming right now. And no act, big acting roles coming up? No. 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 I did, uh, Natasha, I did something on Natasha's new show, her oh. uh, Peacock show, the yeah. Ryan Johnson thing, Poker Face. Um but then um, Housebroken, the show, the animated show oh, that yeah. I created with um, Gabby Allen and Jen Crittenden. For That's the, happening. Yeah, that is. We have a, a Christmas special coming out. It's two, epi- two holiday episodes, and uh-huh. then we're coming back for a full season next summer. All right. Yeah. Well, great job. I enjoyed the show. Thank you. It was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, too. <laughs> See, that worked out. We, we, she was a little nervous at first, but we got it uh, going. And uh, uh, I, I should say again that High School is on Amazon Free V and Prime Video. Housebroken is on Fox and streaming on Hulu. So look, here's what we're doing now. We're going to hang out for a second, okay? All right, people. Coming up this week for Full Marin subscribers, we're listening back to the time Mick Foley and Brendan McDonald had a wrestling match on the radio. That's my producer, Brendan. We solicited that he's going to fight one of you the lied hosts. to me. I didn't, we didn't lie to you. This is, like, he's our guest host for today. Yes. Mick Foley's our guest host for today. He's going to be here for the whole hour. And, and, that's, and that, that's the deal. Right. Well, all right. So that's the deal. So, you know, um, I'll do it. Because, you know, I, I probably won't win, but I'm, I'm going to, I'll do it. No, no, no. Yes! Wait, wait, Whoa. Was, wait, Whoa. What was that word, probably? <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't win. Uh, this is be well, I, what do you want me to do? If I, if I back down, then you guys would make fun of me for yes, that. Yes, we so. would. Yes. Right. So, so we're still going to make fun of you. You just wouldn't be injured. I don't think you want to do this, man. I really don't. I think you ought to think about it. I know you thought, thought about it in the can, but that was then. I think you need to think about it now. Right. And you're look telling at him, me to do that. Look at you. You're telling me to do look that. At and him, then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna you. think about it and I'm gonna leave and then you guys have a fun time in here. Exactly. No, we're gonna do it. We're it's gonna okay, do nobody knows. Oh, wait, 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 hold on a second. You do understand there'll be consequences for your actions or, or lack thereof, right? You understand I've got yeah, a reputation. I'm not gonna come on Air America and, and make a joke out of this thing. Yeah, sure, whatever. You do understand you might look a little bit different when you leave. <laughs> And there are plenty of blunt objects around here that can help in that uh, All regard. All right, fine. Let's, uh, oh, whoa, whoa, oh, my whoa, goodness. He threw out the headphones. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to teach you a little lesson here. I'm not going to smack <laughs> you around. I'm just going to twist your body and wait. Oh, 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 that was from our radio show, Morning Sedition, which we've been spending some time talking about recently. But we're actually revisiting that wrestling clip as the start of another recurring series we're doing for Full Marin subscribers. I don't want to tip it just yet, but it's going to be a journey of sorts that will take place over the next weeks and months. We've actually started quite a few recurring series in the bonus content at this point. Good Morning Geniuses is our continuing look back at Morning Sedition. We've also got the monthly Ask Mark Anything episodes, also the Archive Deep Dives, where me and Brendan go in depth on WTF episodes from way back. We've got a good one of those coming up. 
And we'll also do more installments of We Love This, where we break down all the details about our favorite movies, albums, shows, whatever. Plus, more producer cuts and live music mixtapes are on the way in the new year, too. That's a lot of stuff over on the Full Marin for anyone who wants it, along with access to every episode of WTF ad-free. To subscribe, click on the link in the episode guide or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. On Thursday, film critic, radio host, professor, and now documentary filmmaker Elvis Mitchell he has a new doc about black cinema in the 70s called Is That Black Enough For You? Now on Netflix. We'll talk about it on Thursday. And now let's, uh, let's dig up some guitar work from the vault. <laughs> 